Thank you, Tony. It's good to be part of this unique gathering of people who are dispersed so widely and yet connected through the Ministry of the Methodist Central Hall, Westminster. Here at Central Hall, we are in a position to be more conscious than most of the diversity of the human family. It is reflected in so many aspects of the church's life, the images that are used, the profile of members, the notices and activities of the church, and in the call to ministry that we affirmed this morning as we prayed for Joyce. Interestingly, the coronavirus pandemic has made this diversity even more evident. The strapline, a global Christian family, has become even more appropriate. And I think that in this regard, Central Hall is showing in microcosm what is being seen more broadly around our world. It's estimated that worldwide in 2017, there were 258 million people, that is one in every 30 people, living outside their country of birth. And we can see readily how that figure would be increased if we take into account the people whose parents and grandparents were also in that category. This month is Black History Month, a time when we look at the story of humanity through the lens of people of African origin and descent. And it's perhaps timely for us to ask as Christians, what do we believe is going on in all this migration and mingling and mixing of peoples? Do we dare to ask what might be God's intention and purpose in all this? After I returned from serving in South Africa a few years ago, I was able to take part in a gathering in Braunfels in Germany, which opened my eyes to the scale and variety of ministry with and among migrants, refugees, and asylum seekers in Europe. 65 people attended a leadership seminar arranged by the International Council of the United Methodist Church in Germany. And we came from 15 different European countries and represented an even greater spectrum of national diversity when our various countries of origin were taken into account. I wish I had time to tell you about the remarkable people I met and the amazing ministries they were involved in. Here's just a sample a young woman whose family moved from the Philippines to the USA and who, when I met her, was approaching the end of her second year as an intern in Bremen, where she had been working with refugees and migrants from different nations. A husband and wife from Sweden who opened their home there to provide a place of welcome and hospitality for asylum seekers from Afghanistan and who have seen a church of Afghan Christians coming into being within their home. A bishop from Northern Ghana, who grew up in a Muslim family, who completed a PhD on Muslim-Christian relations and now devotes a significant part of his ministry to that field, alongside his demanding responsibilities within his district. And a man of Ukrainian background who grew up in Florida, trained as a minister, and was working in Moscow in an ecumenical chaplaincy with five other denominations and had as one of his colleagues a young man from Cameroon. In an updated internationalized version of the question that Mr. Wesley put to his preachers back in 1763, I have found myself asking 
what might we reasonably believe to be God's design in bringing together people of such diverse cultural and ethnic backgrounds in the Methodist Church in Britain today? What is God getting up to? Our scripture readings and the lens of black experience lead me to suggest that it is an enterprise of crossing boundaries and building community. And there are three overlapping parts to this transforming process. First, there's a stirring up of compassion. I'm fairly certain that the heading given to the portion of scripture that we heard from 2 Kings 5 in almost any copy of the Bible you picked up was the healing of Naaman. That's the story, what it's all about, isn't it? Or is it? Embedded in that story are other stories that are so easily overlooked. There is the story of a girl who is a victim of the intractable conflict between Arameans and Israel, taken captive and transported to a foreign country where she has to work as a slave, subject to the whims and fancies of the wife of a high-ranking military officer. She's so insignificant, she's not even given a name, like so many of the women in the Bible, like so many of the significant people in black history. But it is her story that is the key to the unfolding of Naaman's story. And hers is a story of overwhelming compassion. Oh, if only, if only, she cries out in her compassion for her captor and oppressor. If only my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of this dreadful skin disease. There's a story of the other household slaves who accompany their master as he goes in search of healing. At the crucial moment when it seems that the mission could end in complete failure, they are so concerned, so compassionate, that they risk the wrath of their master by daring to suggest that his taking that little step the prophet had decreed might indeed be the way to a transformed life. When history feel, leaves us feeling angry and resentful, when statistics and economic arguments appear overwhelming, God uses face-to-face -face encounters and the real-life stories of people to stir up within us a renewed sense of compassion, of our sharing a common humanity. It's etched deeply into black history. And even in this pandemic, or maybe we should say especially in this pandemic, to those who are open to the grace of God, there is the opportunity again for us to stir up compassion. We can, we will cross that invisible boundary in the middle of the street, or reach over the garden fence, or stand two meters back after ringing the doorbell. We will offer cakes or casseroles, or telephone calls, because nothing is going to stop us from showing compassion to our fellow humans. What is God getting up to? Still stirring up compassion. And then perhaps also, secondly, strengthening community. Community, such a comforting word, isn't it? It conveys pictures of amicable gatherings, of harmony and of shalom. But community doesn't just happen. Community forms as a result of developed interaction and deliberate inclusion. 
So the terms of engagement between Aram and Israel must change. No longer can Israel be regarded as simply the enemy to be feared and resisted and subjugated whenever possible. Now Israel is potentially a source of help and solace. The king of Aram, though he is in a strong position militarily, becomes a petitioner and seeks a favor of the king of Israel. And with his humility, there is generosity. He sends 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of garments. Total value of the gift, roughly calculated at today's prices, 2.2 million pounds. Building community cannot be done on the cheap. One of the concerns highlighted by Black history and the Black Lives Matter movement is that so much of the cost has been borne by the people who have suffered most in the building of the structures and institutions of this country and many others. See Windrush. If there is to be a strengthening of community, the interaction of different parts of that community must be different in the future from what it has been in the past. And part of that different interaction must involve deliberate inclusion. Over the past two weeks, there has been a concerted effort in the Methodist Church to interview and appoint people who will help shape and implement a strategy that will make us a more truly inclusive church. Ahaziah, the king of Israel, is distraught when Naaman offers arrives rather at his palace with a letter from the king of Aram. He sees it as an excuse on the part of Aram for another war and he feels trapped and helpless. But says our scripture, help is at hand in the form of the prophet Elisha. I can't help wondering from time to time as we face this pandemic, whether we are drawing on all the resources that are at hand. What does it mean for us in this day to speak truth to power? And in speaking that truth, have we listened to, have we interacted with those who are the most vulnerable and disadvantaged in our society, those who are not included because of their ethnicity or gender or sexual orientation or economic status or neurofunctional profile? For it is only when we have done so that we will be able to strengthen a community. This week, the chairs of the London District with other church leaders in London had a meeting with the mayor of London, Sadiq Khan. And in that meeting, the church leaders spoke with the mayor about how faith communities can contribute to the health and well-being of people in our city. And when asked what London Christians might pray for him, Sadiq Khan said, he would like us to pray for hope. Hope for him, but more importantly, for all who are living with the impact of the pandemic. What is God getting up to, according to our scripture lessons and in the light of black history? Is it perhaps a way of strengthening community? People of faith are able to bring love and hope in the midst of despair. And then finally this, sharing communion. 
You might think this is a curious thing for me to say, not least when the thing that many Christians have felt deeply has been the inability to take part in the sacraments of Holy Communion in the usual way. But think again about the last part of Naaman's story. He asked the prophet for two things, remember, that he might be permitted to take back to Aaron two new loads of the soil of Israel so that he can use them to create an altar where he can worship the God who has healed him, and also that he would not be condemned when in the line of duty he was constrained to show deference to the king by bowing with him as the king bowed in worship before Rimon, God of Aram. And the prophet, the holy man of God, says to Naaman, go in peace. Is this pointing to the possibility of communion that is more profound and spiritual rather than being focused on the physical and liturgical? I wonder. And then add that mind-blowing picture of Revelation 7. A great multitude that no one could count from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, a truly diverse and inclusive group, all joined in a universal act of worship of the one eternal God. Is that what God is getting up to in all this migrating and mingling and mixing up that's going on, getting us ready for that final celebration? I don't know what your idea is of a really good festival, whether you were more Easter people and Green Belt or went to both, or perhaps to make things really take off, you added a dash of Tina Turner for good measure. Whatever your preference, you can be sure that it will be a pale shadow of the mashup that God is planning. And here and now, in this time and in this place, we are given the chance to begin practicing our steps and our songs so that we can be ready for it. You can't see my feet, but trust me, they are moving to the beat of the Jerusalem because I know I need to start practicing now. Stirring up compassion, strengthening community, sharing communion with all people in all places, not just now, but for all time, God is with us, crossing boundaries, building connections. Amen.